Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 72 of the Kaiju Cast, the uh, Daikaiju discussion episode, and the last episode of 2012. This is for December 2012, and uh, we're going to be talking about Frankenstein Conquers the World. My co-hosts for the evening tonight are Mr. Martin Vavra. Hey, hey. And Brian Cook. Hello. And uh, we are going to be getting to that discussion in just a few minutes, and we did get some uh, some people who submitted their thoughts, questions, and reviews, like good little uh, school people. What do you call that? Students, I guess you'd say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and um, so we'll be doing that in a bit, but of course we're going to play some music. I didn't put any requests in for this this month, so we're actually going to start with Koatani's God of the Earth, Baragon, from the GMK soundtrack. <laughs> Thank you. 
right. And so for the audiophiles out there listening, we uh, played, like I said, we Koatani's uh, God of the Earth Baragon from GMK, a.k.a. Godzilla, Mothra, King, Ghidra, Giant, Monsters, All Out Attack. And then we followed that up with Frankenstein at the Quarry, which is from tonight's Daikaiju discussion film, Frankenstein Conquers the World. And uh, that was by Akira Fukube, as well as the follow-up song, which was Operation L, March 1, which is from War of the Gargantuas, uh, which is going to be our next commentary film that, we, that we're going to do here. And I was hoping to get that done before the end of the year, but hey, it's not in the cards. I'm not going to push my luck and uh, crank out some shoddy stuff. Uh, but we're going to turn back to Frankenstein Conquers the World because, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that this show will keep going for a long, long time. This month's film is the 1965 Toho-produced Frankenstein Conquers the World. It's got Nick Adams, Kumi Mizuno, Tadao Takashima, uh, in the leading roles, and it's also got Koji Furuhara playing Frankenstein's monster, and of course, Baragon is played by none other than Haruo Nakajima. It was supposedly a co-production with America, and does actually have two endings. We're going to watch both of them, but we're going to watch the dubbed version tonight, and uh, specifically the release from Media Blasters and Tokyo Shock. And we're going to go do that right now. What a movie, you guys, right? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Frankenstein Conquers the World. So, uh, you know, as we normally start these things, uh, who here has seen it before? Brian, you've seen Frankenstein Conquers the World. Yes, I've seen it before. And I know I have. And Martin, I'm sure you've seen it like at least 10 times. Uh, no, not at all. No, not at all. Well, that's good. The great kaiju experiment continues. Exactly. Yep. It's just what it was set out to be. So, so, uh, what were your initial thoughts? Like, give me your thoughts on Frankenstein Conquers the World. Ooh, I dead air, <laughs> dead air. I don't really know what to say. Okay, so well, for okay, so, so do you have questions about it first? Maybe, maybe I can help answer some questions, even though there's not a ton of uh, there's not a ton that I could see on on the internet or in my book collection. I only have one question. Okay. Why was this movie made? Um, well, because <laughs> it needed to be made. <laughs> this this is actually one of those. Are, I, I can say that this is probably the one where I can say that this one was so bad to me that it was good. I, I, I would have loved to have just torn this thing apart, and I didn't for the sake of the experiment, but I was shocked by most of this film. Really shocked, like as in yeah. shockingly bad. Yeah. Huh. Why would you say that about the film? I'm just kind of curious. Like, what was the worst? What were some of the worst things to you about about this film? Why was it so bad? Oh man, where do I even begin on this? Seriously, I should have written it all down and then tried to prioritize it. There were so many things about the like the, um, the acting of the Frankenstein dude was just atrocious that was really terrible and yeah his mutating body hair throughout the whole thing not to mention the yeah the changing of his clothes and the, the whole scene with him and the and the uh wild boar and the tank trap and all of that stuff i 
just was like, what is going on right now? <laughs> okay, so addressing those concerns. I have more. Uh, yeah, just we can address up front, up front. Uh, logic. <laughs> I don't really have anything to add. Logic in this film. It is the Toho film. Um, uh, I enjoyed myself. I, I want to say I did have fun. But <laughs> I understand. It's not... This is not really a movie for everyone and it's no it's no secret that that this film is uh is loved and and hated at the same time by some people in so. the amount of time that they ha- could have uh made a, a cast made that rubber hand that they had in the tray that they were all looking at they could have actually rigged just a prop setup with somebody's hand through a table, through a tray, and had a realistic hand there that they were like, I was like, I, I think I see air bubbles in that. Is that so? So for this film, you would say that the stuff that didn't work for you outweighed the stuff that may have worked for you. Yeah. Yeah, I can't actually immediately think of anything that too, worked for too me. Too much of the face palm and the head shaking, right? Yeah, no, this is yeah. literally a film where I'm, I believe, for me, this was a so bad it's good. Okay, okay. Good to know. Brian, initial thoughts? <laughs> follow well, up, follow up. It is a really rough film, and it's really slow, and it doesn't have any of the fun that you get during this era of the Toho films. Right, 1965, yep. But what I do like about it um, is with this and War of the Gargantuas, I really like the idea of kind of very humanoid looking monsters. Mm -hmm. When he's walking away from the one girl's apartment and he's in the street and the street signs come up to his knee and everything, it all kind of looks very unique and different. And it really wasn't until... I think the Gamera Heisei films where everything was scaled down to, and the monsters looked bigger in their environments that I saw that kind of, that idea like worked really well in the Gamera films. It doesn't quite work well at all in this movie, but, um, and <laughs> but you I, the scale. So the scale, you like the scale of the monsters. I think it works really well in War of the Gargantuas when they're slamming each other into buildings and the buildings are almost as bigger than the Gargantua brothers. I think that I think a lot of that works, but it's tough. This one, this one's definitely tough. It's a lot less fun than War of the Gargantuas. Okay, so. good to know. Good to know. Uh, initial thoughts for me are, um, I I like this movie for what it is, which is a complete departure from the Godzilla universe. Even though Baragon shows up later and destroy all monsters a little bit, and then um, uh, much later in Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra giant monsters all out attack. Uh, I like it because it's like, it's different and it's interesting that they brought in the Frankenstein monster. I don't understand why they felt the need to, but we were talking earlier, uh, about the original script that was peddled to Toho being like Frankenstein versus Prometheus. Uh, and then of course I think it's John Beck. I should probably do the research before I open my mouth, but, uh, I think it's John Beck that uh that allowed toho to be like oh well what about uh changing it or somebody no 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 sorry frankenstein versus prometheus was changed to i think king kong versus prometheus or frankenstein versus king kong one of those two and then he shopped it around eventually went to toho and they were like well king kong we're interested in then we want to change it to godzilla and john beck was like yeah let's do it man but so maybe this was like a uh remnant from that that exchange where Frankenstein and um, a monster do battle. 
but uh, I mean, I don't really I don't remember what I was talking about before that, but uh, <laughs> it, you know, the weird thing is there's also another title for this film, which is uh, Frankenstein versus the devil fish, which is where you saw that that's actually their name for really? the, for the octopus in the, in the end I of, of the second version. I know that. <laughs> yeah yeah frankenstein versus the devilfish uh because that's where octopi reside is in hell <laughs> but they've got you know the the funny thing about the what i guess what i was talking about is my my initial thoughts you know frankenstein conquers the world is not your typical giant monster movie but it still has some aspects of a chip, typical giant monster movie i feel like there's a lot more uh, of the human element, especially because one of the monsters is a mutated human, you get a lot of interaction, and you're going to get that in War of the Gargantuas a little bit with flashbacks to the brown Gargantua, the, yeah, I believe. Yeah, the brown baby Gargantua. Yeah, and, uh, but it's different because you get to sort of see the progression of Frankenstein growing up. I'm doing air quotes, which is great for audio <laughs> entertainment, but I'm doing air quotes for growing up into this giant monster which isn't so giant, you know. I think if Frankenstein were up against Godzilla, Frankenstein would be coming up to his knee, and you know, which would bear, which means that Baragon would not be as big as well. And I don't know. It's I enjoy the films. I enjoyed this film. Excuse me. I obviously enjoy all the films, uh, but it's definitely not not something I watch a lot. I mean, if you. If there were some sort of like play count on every one of my DVDs, Frankenstein Conquers the World would maybe have been played a few times versus like GMK or Destroy All Monsters or Monster Zero, you know, which would have, you know, lots and lots and lots of plays. Yeah, I I, I know that I've watched War of the Gargantua, War of the Gargantuas a lot more times than I've seen Frankenstein Conquers the World. And I actually... uh you know, I'll show Gargantuas to people that aren't into kaiju film. So I just think it's that good of a movie. So oh, right on. Well, there's... I can't wait to do the commentary for that later. Yep. But as far as Frankenstein conquers the world goes, I don't know. I, I like it, but I don't I don't love it. I think that's where I where I sit with it. It's sort of in it's sort of one of those movies where it's got some pretty bad stuff. In fact, when we were watching the film tonight, I was like, Oh yeah, I kind of forgot that that was in here. <laughs> <laughs> and now I remember uh, I remember why I didn't like that. We must no. convince them that science is a good thing. Yeah. And science must be. <laughs> yeah. Every time now, now I can't, uh, I can totally actually, I can relate Nick Adams to um, Larry Blamer, who is the, uh, the guy and the, the scientist in the lost skeleton of Cadavera. <laughs> who keeps saying, like, we're doing this for science. So every time Nick Adams said something about science, I was like, no, he's just <laughs> saying it because he doesn't have, like, a, a frame of reference for real sort of science or doctor, uh, doctor speak. It's just hilarious to me. Uh, so uh, I guess, like, what do we want to talk about? Let's talk about, um, let's talk about what, we, what we didn't like. Martin, you already mentioned... Well, you mentioned the wild boar, <laughs> so <laughs> I would say uh, it, I was defending some things. Uh, no one in Japan did a good job of reproducing animals uh, yeah, until the horse much, the much recently. Oh, the like, serious, like oh, in past, you got to get past like 2000 yeah. for them to start yeah. doing realistic mm -hmm. uh, representations of animals. I've never seen something that looked 
like it could be real. And the horse and the the wild boar looked they looked terrible. I think they were probably used with real animal, like made with real animal hair <laughs> and sculpted. I was just I was laughing at him, like he's staring down the wild boar. But I'm right-handed, digging me a pit. I'm digging me a pit. Yeah, I'm pulling trees up. I'm now setting the trap for the wild boar because wild Shaking boars the bush, just boss. randomly fall into 40-foot-wide pits that you know <laughs> he's out in the open. And then, oh, look, it's a tank trap for later down the road. <laughs> when the tank falls in, I think Martin was like, oh. wah, wah. He was like, why did we just see that? Like, what was that about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't defend that. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not great filmmaking. You know, a lot of people say like, well, with the smaller monsters, you get smaller, uh, or you get the, the chance to make larger miniatures, uh, larger and more detailed miniatures. So I think other aspects of that, like Brian, you mentioned the, um, the signs and the street where, where, uh, Kumi Mizuno's character lived and them being a lot more like in scale and readable and so forth and kind of cool to see juxtaposed next to the Frankenstein monster. Uh, but I think that's the, that's the positive of it. But you know, when you go to the the negative aspect of it, stuff that, I mean, they're going to have a hard time making a cow look realistic compared to Godzilla. They're going to have an even worse time making a horse look realistic next to the Frankenstein monster or Baragon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. But what did you like least about it? Oh, well, I mean that the horse is really an embarrassing scene as a as a kaiju fan. Yeah, there there's really no defending that. It's it, it's pretty bad. But um, it just I think that there's no satisfactory. There's so much time spent on the human storyline of oh don't let him kill Frankenstein. We got to save him. He's you know. There's no real payoff to that because no matter what ending you see, Frankenstein just ends up dying. There's kind of not a lot of payoff in this film in general. I mean, um, the Frankenstein monster doesn't really look that great. I've never enjoyed his uh, uh, the effect, I guess you could say, the suitmation aspect of him. And uh, I agree. Like, there's it's like a whole lot of running around and looking and trying to save him. And then in the end, it's all just for naught. There's flat out a scene where they're lost in the forest walking in circles. And I believe they even show their map where it shows circles. And it's like, <laughs> this is not good filmmaking. They're not really telling yeah. a good story. Uh, I think m- my biggest complaint about the film is uh, that there's just a lot, a lot of aspects of the film that don't just don't need to be in there. Like, the military do not need to be in that film at all. I think they could have gotten away with the police pretty much. I mean, yeah. they never really attacked the monsters at all. And then the the funniest part of the whole film to me is at the very end when the guy's just like, all right, everybody, wrap it up. And just they leave. <laughs> and like, there's five, head out. <laughs> Hey, we saved a ton of money, never had to fire a single shell, and never had to... Well, I think they probably did <laughs> yeah. fire something. Well, when but, they yeah. were in the cave, yeah. stop shooting! No, keep yeah, shooting. Yeah, keep shooting. <laughs> Someone's got to pay for these bullets. That's the least amount of paperwork anyone's going to have to do about for a kaiju-related yeah. event. But, you know, the... the there's just there's a lot of uh, superfluous stuff going on in here, and it, it seems like... 
Maybe Toho didn't know exactly what they wanted to make. I don't know exactly what the script looked like before they before they got it, like what the the original Frankenstein versus Prometheus script Prometheus script looked like, but it's just there's a ton of stuff in there that's like throw almost just like throwaway material and um and yeah, some of the effects are just not so great. Like every time they kept picking up the hand uh, in the laboratory, I was like, wow, you really should not show that up close. <laughs> it looks like it's made of clay. And in full lighting. <laughs> yeah, it's full lighting. Full lighting. Uh, and actually, when when Frankenstein escaped, it, you, I actually wound the movie back a little bit because I was like, is does he have is his he hand? Really? Like, yeah. is his hand gone? Because they didn't show that his hand had been removed at that right. point. But I knew it was there because, you know, I've seen the movie a few times. Uh, and so I was just kind of like, curious if they had the forethought to to do that to film him without a hand and then later on when he was um at uh kumi muzuno's apartment complex area i saw that he had some weird mutated like club hand thing going on which was weird uh but let's talk about what we did like about the film martin let's start with you tell me something that you dug about this film something that struck you as being kind of cool or or awesome there were uh some some of the uh the miniature sets i think were done really really well um they did a really good job like the the cave scene when frankenstein comes out they did a really good job with the exterior of that thing being a miniature of what we already saw everybody else going into there was outside of her apartment they did a really good job of a miniature version of that street scene there was a couple of those that were really good really well done Agree, agree. What about you, Brian? I like Baragon. <laughs> who, d- <laughs> who doesn't? Oh wait, no, we'll find out about that later. No, yeah. Baragon. Baragon looks great. I mean, clearly, he has some aspects of of his uh, suit design that were popular enough to, uh, you know, move on to other creatures. Martin, if you didn't know this, Baragon was reused. The suit was reused for a lot of different monsters, uh, in the Ultraman. Or the Ultra Universe, I should say. Is this the first time that we've seen Baragon as a character, or had Baragon already appeared in a Godzilla film? I, I don't no, know. No, this was a, this was Baragon's first appearance. First time, okay. And uh, shortly after this, I'm pretty sure Subaraya ripped the head off and used him as Pagos. Actually, there's a Pagos in the second shelf down towards the back. He's sort of got horns and uh, big teeth coming out, and he's yeah, like absolutely. standing upright. That's uh, Pagos as a as a creature from Ultra Q. Yeah, and that totally looks like the same, the body with a different head on it. Exactly. Yeah. Everything from the head down. There's uh, a lot of season one monsters on Ultraman where if you look at their body, it's the same spine of Baragon. They just stuck a new head on. Yeah, this <laughs> nice. dude over here, Naranga. This guy, whee, you can barely hear me. So you can see this guy in the back of him. He's got, uh, he's yeah, got Baragon's the same, deal. same setup. Yeah, so basically they did Baragon... But Subaraya must have liked Baragon so much that he was like, yeah, man, we've already got a body for that. Keep using it. Uh, I, I wish I had a list of all the all the monsters. I'm sure there's something available on the Internet that shows like every single suit that uh, or every single monster that the Baragon suit was used for. But that's actually why three years later in Destroy All Monsters he didn't look very good and so they didn't use him for his <laughs> close up. The suit had been pummeled by so many other sets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and also by Ultraman too. Yeah. Ultraman literally pummeled that <laughs> suit. Medium. 
But yeah, you know the the Arc de Triomphe. Triumph. Yeah. I don't know. They don't speak the French over here, but uh, when that gets destroyed, they say, "Oh, Baragon is destroying it," and it's like Gorosaurus's head coming up <laughs> through the through the <laughs> through the ground. Anyway, uh, right on. Yeah, Baragon's great. I love Baragon. I loved that he came back uh, in GMK, and he's sort of a fan favorite. I mean, who doesn't love that puppy dog? Aside from the person we'll talk about later, but um, I think my favorite my favorite aspect of the film uh, just has to be <laughs> as silly as it sounds, Nick Adams. I love that guy, and uh, that's actually why we watched the dubbed version tonight. Is because I refuse to watch Nick Adams dubbed into Japanese, <laughs> which is that alternate ending. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'd have made it through this whole movie with that. <laughs> <laughs> the alternate yeah okay well let's talk about the alternate ending okay so the the one we saw when we watched the film on the first go which was uh we, well when we watched the film uh was the u.s version where frankenstein and baragon are fighting and uh there's a forest fire going on around them and then all of a sudden the earth gives way and they fall into the earth and pretty much the end uh and then the alternate ending, Baragon is defeated by Frankenstein. And then out of seemingly nowhere, a giant octopus comes around, uh, comes down the mountain and, um, and attacks and uh, pulls Frankenstein into the bay, lake, I don't know, harbor, yeah. something, <laughs> pulls him into the water. The harbor that everyone was supposedly heading to. <laughs> I guess, I, although I didn't see any piers. Yeah, and no, uh, they, and uh, that's how the movie ends. <laughs> it's like they both go go into the water very, very much like a lot of the films, uh, the Godzilla films in the 60s, the monsters fall into the water. Happens in Mothra versus Godzilla. I want to say, I want to say, I know it happens in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, is that how that uh, Ghidra the three headed monster ends a little bit? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, that's uh, that's Monster Zero ends that way, right? Yeah, Monster Zero ends that way. Um, and Ghidra flies away anyway. Sort of a sort of a go to staple of those films, but it's not really, I don't really have a huge problem with that. What I don't understand about the endings is why were the two endings made like. So this is something that I would like to to get some input on. Uh, like I said, there wasn't a ton of research that I could do on these, and it didn't seem like anybody had a definitive answer. Uh, Brian, you said that when you got here, you thought that the Japanese version had the had the octopus, and the American version was the earthquake version. I thought that I thought I remember reading that, but then again, I mean, there's so much information and misinformation over the years that who knows? Yeah. So. It seems. I mean, it seems plausible that they saw the uh, they saw the octopus ending and were just like, "What was that? <laughs> Can you maybe just reshoot that with Frankenstein it, and Baragon falling into the earth?" Instead? There's no explanation. Like an octopus just shows up, and everyone's like, "Look, an octopus!" Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a giant octopus! And then that's it. They yeah. just they just fight. That's what they do, man. That's why they're devilfish, Martin. I see you like nodding your head at me. Not on the land. <laughs> <laughs> that thing had a spine and all that. That thing should have been like a bowl of jello out there, but and maybe I should also mention that the octopus was also reused in Ultra Q as well. 
Ah. Bum, bum, bum. That's the revelation <laughs> music. And War, uh, War of the Gargantuas opens with an octopus. Do you think it's the same one? It's got to be the same one, right? Story-wise, this no, they, is the octopus. No, no, that, oh. I mean, let's go there. Story-wise, is it the same <laughs> octopus? Like, are we talking plot-wise? It's the same octopus that killed the original Frankenstein. Now he's going after the green Gargantua. <laughs> No, I, I, you always no spoilers, heard spoilers. I haven't seen it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. It's ah, the it's the spoilers. opening though. So. Um, you've always heard that uh, Ishiro Honda loved to eat octopus, and that's why he'd put him in his movies. So I thought that yeah, I thought it was Subaraya. Maybe it's Subaraya. Maybe it was Subaraya. I think it's Subaraya, and he was because I think that's what at the end of at the end of King Kong versus Godzilla, he was like, yeah, take that one split it up yep. for me <laughs> i'll take that one home with me yeah but uh i don't know i i don't know this film it's got its ups it's got its downs parts of it parts of it are really enjoyable parts of it are not actually one thing uh that really did bother me this actually might be even more bothersome to me than the um than the apparent like superfluous stuff that you kept seeing over and over again uh it's the fact that they could never actually get the film speed right for the monsters. Yeah. Um, when Baragon is like destroying the ski village, you know, the a framed houses, like that's the perfect giant monster film speed. And it's like slight, it's slow motion. Uh, and then everything else it seemed was filmed in just about regular, you know, 24 frames per second kind of thing. And I don't, that's something when that happens in a film, it actually just takes my train completely off the rails and it, it really takes me out of the, out of the element of watching the film. And I start going, why, why did they do that? And, um, I want to say there was just one shot of the Frankenstein monster battling Baragon. Like he flips over Baragon and it wasn't in real time motion. It wasn't in total Godzilla slow motion. It was somewhere in between. I was like that, that is what they should have filmed all of the monster scenes. in. it would have been much more quote realistic end quote. And uh, I would have enjoyed it a bit more. There was a couple of fast motion spots too, where it was just kind of jittery and weird. And I don't know why they did that. You know, I actually, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you or saying you're wrong, but I would like to, if you haven't seen it someday, you sh- I should actually show you footage on like real time footage of people in the giant monster suits because mm-hmm. they move incredibly fast and like little tiny short bursts. Oh, okay. Because when they slow it down, it makes those movements much more accentuated mm-hmm. and, and uh, they obviously they don't look as jabby and, and quick. Sure. Um, so it was really real time what I was seeing. Was I think just, it was real time. Yeah. Now the movie you do see a lot of uh like sped up film, so film shot at like 12 frames per second or you know, let's just say 20 frames per second, I don't know. Uh is Gigantus the Fire Monster, which is also known as Godzilla Raids again. It's the second film in the series and they are actually going fast. It's really quite bizarre. Hmm. Uh anyway, Sort of got off off track there. Um, we we did get some submissions, so we should probably read those. Uh, but before we do that, let's get some final thoughts. Or if you guys had anything else you wanted to say about the film. Well, d- typically, you know, one of the aspects of this is, would you recommend this to somebody? And I would say I would not recommend this to someone who is not a already a kaiju fan. Just I don't think this would. Uh, 
don't think this would sell them on it. Not for them, huh? No, not so much. All right. What about you, Brian? I would agree. I mean, if you're going to... The one to pick is War of the Gargantuas out of these two. And uh, this is just a really tough film to get into. So, not right. that it doesn't have its good qualities, but... Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. This is definitely not something... Like, my girlfriend has seen a handful of these films, and she saw a little bit of this one, and she's like, yeah, I don't think I need to watch that one. So... Uh, you know, to each their own. And uh, I understand why this is, some people love this film. It's just not really something that I would, I would think should be like a first time or even like in the first five films you so, show someone who's never, never been a fan of the genre. Uh, but having said that, I think we're going to just go ahead and move on and talk to, uh, not talk to, but talk about what other, other people said. And I'll start with Mike Keller from Monster Attack Team. He said that Frankenstein Conquers the World is one of those rare things in cinema history, an idea that sounds completely preposterous when written down. The Frankenstein monster is exposed to atomic radiation, grows 20 meters tall, and battles a dinosaur kaiju, but it, but is uh, turned into a pretty darn good monster movie when it's actually made. Mike actually prefers this film to its sequel, War of the Gargantuas. And not only because it contains Baragon, but that is certainly one of the reasons. Once again, we see the advantage of scaling these monsters to half Godzilla's size to get superior-looking miniatures. He watched the international version of the film for this viewing, the one with the non-sequitur slash deus ex machina, a giant octopus that comes gallivanting over the mountains, as all giant octopi supposedly do to drag Frankenstein's monster uh, why do people insist on calling it Frankenstein into the lake, ocean, or whatever body of water that is? Clearly that, I read this before, that was influencing what I was <laughs> saying there. Uh, uh, this, scene is, uh, this scene is a lot like watching Christina Hendricks and Thora Birch bathe in a tub of Velveeta while eating bananas. It, it oh, makes no oh. sense, but it's enjoyable to look at. <laughs> no, that that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, that would be enjoyable. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're way off on that one. Okay. I'd like to see that movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what movie he's talking about there, but I'm sure Mike will write in and tell us. Uh, there are a couple of logic problems and a few other flaws. How and what does uh, the Frankenstein monster fashion its giant caveman outfit from, which we talked about during the movie? Uh, the scene near the beginning where Dr. Germanheimer goes nuts and wrecks his laboratory. <laughs> German, uh, because the Nazis commander, uh, the mo- Nazis commandeer the living heart, uh, features some spastic pantomime acting. Who the heck are they kidding when they state that the monster is 100% Caucasian? I mean, I completely agree with that. They're, they really hammer yeah. that home and it's quite obvious that <laughs> I, I think they could have ca- found a Caucasian yeah. with the amount of dialogue. Probably. <laughs> uh, Koji Furuhata is about as Caucasian as Richard Dawkins is religious. What what is this talk about blue eyes when he has the black orbs of an elephant seal? Oh, in uh, the dubbed version, they said green. And I did actually see some green. It was actually more like he had a green eye with a gigantic, like the, I don't know what the white part of an eye is called. Science man? Uh, your eye. Okay. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Clearly no longer a teacher, everyone. So, uh. Why yeah, I anyway, had green, <laughs> green with big giant black pupils. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, um, da, 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 da. and uh, oh, then he says, "How and when does Baragon get his name?" 
That's okay, it's all worth it when we get to the final battle. The cinematic clash between the monster and Baragon is exactly the sort of knockdown, drag out rumble that they just don't film anymore. Uh, with rays, like, you know, beams, a forest on fire, dirt and debris flying everywhere, jumping monsters, punches, kicks, pile drivers, bone breaking, teeth biting, pure adrenaline, smash atastic, fun endorphin, lava juice. It's another great score from Ifukube to top it all off. I like it. I like it a lot, says Mike. The mayor of dinosaurs writes in to say that this is definitely in his list of favorite kaiju films. He's not a big fan of the creature design. He doesn't like humanoids and how did Frankenstein become Asian anyway. But the movie itself is a lot of fun. The premise is cool and directly using rather than just alluding to both the Japanese Nazi alliance and the Hiroshima bombing is kind of gutsy for a sci-fi flick of the times. We really do sympathize with old Frank and the fight with Baragon is great. The ending is almost a deus ex machina because what if that earthquake hadn't happened? But the mayor always likes the random natural disasters happening around his kaiju as it adds to their power and mystery. Finally, the great Nick Adams is always fun as the tough guy scientist in Kumi Mizuno makes every movie she's in twice as good, at least. Overall, a cool movie, and he'd happily show it to kaiju newbies. Scott Boswell writes in and says, It's impossible for Scott to be objective about this movie because he loves it. He saw it back in 1969 or 1970. It was the first time he saw a movie with a girl, no parents or friends. These were the days when you could leave kids alone at a movie theater with other kids. Impossible to imagine now. He remembers being confused by the Asian Frankenstein. Uh, it would be years before he learned that it was Frankenstein's monster and not just Frankenstein, which a lot of people are sticklers for. I just want to point that out. Yeah, my girlfriend is like that too. She's like, why are they calling you Frankenstein? I've seen people be aggressive not, about that. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> Some people have their preferences. But he was scared out of his seat at looking at a giant-sized heart beating by itself on a table and a loving fight with Baragon. And loving the fight with Baragon. Sorry, not a loving fight. That's a different thing, huh? <laughs> no, actually, both work. <laughs> There's, a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of cuddling in that third act. Um, That's what that was? Cuddling? I'm doing it wrong. Wow, that, this movie makes a lot more sense now. Um, what made the girl he was with so cool was that she liked it too. Scott is sure to this day that this film influenced him into always thinking of Frankenstein as a good guy. Over time, he has seen it again, and he can recognize what's silly and goofy about it, but nothing can ever ruin his first date movie. Jeff Zorno writes, As far as movie monsters go, there is only one other monster that comes close to Godzilla's kingliness, Frankenstein. Frankenstein Conquers the World, a.k.a. Frankenstein vs. Baragon, should be a favorite among all monster and horror movie lovers worldwide, it's one of Jeff's absolute favorite monster movies and one that he never tires of watching. Ishiro Honda, Eiji Tsuburaya, and Akira Fukube deliver another outstanding entry into the kaiju Iega while the genre was at its very peak. Complete with Toho actor fan favorites like Nick Adams, Tadao Takashima, and the lovely and bewitching Kumi Mizuno. This movie pretty much has it all. Mads Nazi scientists, the horrific bombing of Hiroshima, a mutant Frankenstein monster that grows to giant proportions, a giant underground burrowing kaiju with a death breath ray, a hot babe doctor, and a giant octopus just in case you needed one of those too. The Frankenstein monster in this film is convincingly played by Koji Furuhara, 
who was able to emote under his makeup just as well as good old Boris Karloff did for us back in the day, although Jeff sort of wishes the Frankenstein monster had a bit more monstrousness in his makeup design. Because the real star of this movie is Baragon, played by everyone's favorite suit actor, Haruo Nakajima. As cool as giant Frankenstein monsters are, very few things rock quite like Baragon. One of his all-time favorite kaiju, he has a... uh, He has such a wonderfully original design. He sort of looks like a floppy-eared pug with a glowing horn on his head. And Jeff loves the concept of an underground monster that comes up to the surface to eat humans and farm animals. There's something timeless about such a monster problem. And what a great fighter Baragon is. With kangaroo leaps and a volatile heat ray shooting from his mouth, it saddens Jeff that he didn't have his spotlight later and destroy all monsters. Though the customized Baragon suit also portrays several of his favorite Ultra Kaiju film and uh, from Ultra Q in the Ultraman se- series, namely Neranga and Gabara, uh, not to be confused with Gabara, Gabora, I think is how you say that name. Anyway, Gabora. Let's just say that. Let's just say Gabora. You guys good with Gabora? Yeah, I'm good, good with okay. that. Is that from the Child's Show? Yo Gabora. No, that's Yo Gabora. Yo Gabora. <laughs> it should be. Anyway, uh, also, Baragon's roar is used and reused in other variations for several Ultra Monsters. It makes him sad when they change his trademark call for something weak in GMK. I really like that roar in GMK, but that's cool. Whatever, man. He's a small monster, and I'm just going to keep reading what you said. Uh, And what an epic battle Frankenstein and Baragon have. The lighting and cinematography during this climax is breathlessly epic. One of the things he loves about this film and its sequel, War of the Gargantuas, is uh, is the scaled-down size of the kaiju, giving way for larger and more detailed miniature sets, which look so good when they're being destroyed. The red lighting during the climactic battle that builds to a crescendo complete with the raging forest fire is not one to ever be forgotten, and a great testament to the golden age of the kaiju genre. And just when you think it's all over and you can't take any more, the giant octopus arrives to deliver eight tentacles of doom. There are actually four O's in that, so I had to accentuate that, uh, which is one of the most random and awesome times the devilfish appears in the Showa Toho Kaiju series. On a final note, another reason to love this movie, uh, another reason this movie is so perfect, is Akira Fukube's score. He is the master and this one in particular has a slight somber and morbid feel to it, reminiscent of his work on the Daimajin films and later on the terror of Mechagodzilla. The battle music used for the fight between Frankenstein and Baragon is an intense track that enhances the action on screen tenfold. About half of the soundtrack is reused in Godzilla vs. Gigan, which is another favorite Godzilla film and favorite soundtrack collection as well. Uh, Ifukube's score for Frankenstein vs. Baragon makes Jeff wonder what it might have sounded like if he had been assigned to do the score for one of Toho's Dracula films. Frankenstein vs. Baragon, pretty much a perfect film, especially if you love monsters. Matthew notes that Frankenstein Conquers the World is so very average. Aside from a Fukube score, there's no particular facet of the movie that really shines, but it manages never to do anything too dumb either. Was Nick Adams sedated during the, the making of this film? A more lively performance could have helped. It was good to see so many of the Toho regulars in the cast, especially Tadeo Takashima, as the bloodthirsty Dr. Kawaji. First he wants to cut off one of the Frankenstein's limbs, then throw bombs at him and blind the monster for easier capture and subsequent rendering. The wild-looking German guys, uh, German guy wasn't the only mad scientist in the movie. The budget must have been tight for this one because the miniature work wasn't up to par, 
Final battle scene in the burning forest were quite striking, though. Most of the fight scenes were, were not well presented. A little too close to the camera, a little too shaky. Given the movie's twisted path to production, it's surprising it turned out as well as it did. Oh, I like the twist at the end there. And it turned out as well as it did. <laughs> ben Morgan uh, said that uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World is one of his favorites. It is over the top, but always fun. He likes the setup for Frankenstein's monster a lot. It's a slow build, but rewarding. The acting is good and the effects well done. The only thing that Ben doesn't like in the film is Baragon. He is the crappiest of the Toho monsters. He has no real abilities other than digging. Let's let's pause for a second. <clears throat> okay. So first off, and you know, normally I don't pause in a in a in a review here, but uh, first off, he doesn't just dig. He also has a fire breath. He's got a he's got a flame breath. So that's an ability he does have. Secondly. I don't think Ben has seen Latitude Zero because oh no, that, that's <laughs> in true. my opinion, yeah. Latitude Zero is the crappiest of Toho monsters. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you okay. got that one. That's uh, really. I don't need to digress too much more. No, but this is a this is a room of filled with Baragon love. So let's just continue. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Brian. And his opponent is a giant-sized man. Baragon isn't very powerful. Think for a second. If you were the same size as Godzilla, he would still kill you. Or if you made a house cat, or if you made a house cat human sized, it could kill you. Not with Baragon. Just punch and kick him, and he is down for the count. Thankfully, Ben's copy of the movie came with a deleted scene with a giant octopus. All in all, though, Frankenstein Conquers the World is a is a great fun film that he would show to fans of the genre. All right. Well, there you have it. Those are our user submissions for the Daikaiju discussion. For this month thank you guys all for uh sending those in and um next month's movie which is actually the first daikaiju discussion of 2013 is going to be godzilla raids again aka gigantus the fire monster from 1955 if you want to send in your thoughts questions and reviews make sure you do that uh before let's just go back to our old standby before the last week of uh of january so Having said that, I think it's time for us to move into the news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So not a ton to talk about, but some really cool things. Let's actually start with uh, something that Jeff and I talked about last month. Uh, because when we recorded the last Nikaiju discussion episode, Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures had just started releasing some of the viral marketing for Pacific Rim. And uh, I want to say December 3rd of this month, they actually released the full-blown like trailer for Pacific Rim. And uh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, I have to agree with that. It's- Super awesome. Brian, you haven't said anything about it. You oh. must have hated it. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> no. No, it's uh when I first saw the trailer, I thought, I'm glad we're at this point in filmmaking where you can do something like that on screen and make it look the way it does in the trailer. So Oh yeah. I'm really excited. I think this is um it's an interesting it's an interesting concept for the movie. I mean, like I've said this a hundred and fifty times before. Uh all you have to say is Guillermo del Toro 
uh, doing a giant robots versus giant monsters movie and I'm in. I don't need to see a trailer. I don't need to see viral marketing, but it's all good to see. And uh, seeing the trailer itself was just really awesome. You got to you got you didn't get a lot of great views of the monsters, but you got some really choice shots that showed some really cool stuff. Pretty sure you're going to see some beam beam weapons from the monsters. Yeah. And I know for sure you're going to see a rocket punch from one of those robots. Oh, my God. The Jaegers. The Jaegers. And and Martin, we talked about this after you uh, got back from San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. Oh, so how did it feel? You saw what you saw at San Diego Comic-Con, which was... They well, had part ex- of that was in the trailer, Part right? of that was in the trailer. They had... Uh, it was like te- teaser footage. So it was longer, more extended cuts, and, the, and they had... They had a lot more of uh, the Jaeger pilots and their suits. They had some interaction with them. They had some discussion stuff, that kind of thing. They showed some of like the the Jaeger cockpits, that kind of thing that were in there. But some of these shots uh, were in that teaser where you you got to see a little bit more. And I didn't hardly get to see anything of the monsters. They showed more Jaegers than anything. They really didn't show up any of the kaiju on purpose. Yeah, well, I think they're... I honestly think that this is um, uh, definitely this is a movie about humanity. It's it's not going to be a movie about. I know I said giant monsters fighting giant robots, and that's that's sort of the core of what makes me excited to see it. But essentially, this is like any other giant disaster movie where essentially I think you're you're talking about the humans trying to figure out how to survive, and so in order to fight the monsters they create the robots or like the trailer says we create monsters but uh you know this these are not this isn't a monster movie you know you're not going to look at these these monsters and be like yeah go jaeger five go del torodon (laughs) you know or you know whatever i think you will go you will be rooting i think you'll be rooting for the for the jaegers and the humans Mm -hmm. i think i don't think they're going to personify the monsters as having any sort of uh positive aspects about them well, and the the thing about it too is, the Jaegers are going to be that we've seen. They're the obvious answer to the kaiju that we have now seen. But Guillermo del Toro is really good about his storytelling, and he's really good about, like you said, the humanity of things. And there is going to be a story in here in which those are all the components. But there is going to be a lot of flawed and failed humanity that comes out of this. And I'm really curious to see who his antagonist is and what it is that is the point that's going to drive all of them. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to the whole thing. Uh, July of 2013 is uh, rapidly approaching, and I hope to be able to do something cool uh, regarding Pacific Rim and the Kaiju cast at some point. That would be that would be awesome. Agreed. Uh, next up on the list of things to talk about, the topic list, as it were, is that Ultra 7 was finally finally released on DVD here in America uh, by the Shout Factory. And I think we're going to talk to August Ragoni at some point about his involvement with the project of getting that released on DVD. Um, I have not bought it because I had it in my shopping cart and then I was told not to buy anything because of Christmas and stuff like that. And then I didn't get it for Christmas, which is fine. You know, not complaining about that. Uh, but I need to buy that. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see this, uh, I want to see the series in full. It's actually, from what I understand, it's like Ultraman, but it's actually more brutal. Have you seen yeah. Ultra 7? <clears throat> yeah, sorry. I'm right in the mic there. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of Ultra 7. Uh, I like it quite a bit better than the original Ultraman. Um, 
it is a little bit more brutal, I would say, but it's it's really more science fiction oriented. I I always liked it a little bit better. So. I I've seen the first episode and I know that the alien in that just gets literally just cut in half. Yeah, like which that's true. Was like, whoa, <laughs> that's interesting. New new uh new ground in seventy five or something like that. Yeah. When sixty uh, seven? When did that come out? I guess it'd have to be sixty seven because it's the the follow up to Ultraman, which was sixty six. So. Oh, so it came directly after Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully we'll talk to August about that stuff uh, at some point. It'd be really, really nice to hear hear about the that project. Uh, next up on the docket, Sci-Fi Japan TV, which is a, a web series which I've been begging people to watch, and I hopefully you guys have all been watching that. Uh, Martin, I'm not talking directly to you unless you've seen them. I have because you tell me to. Sweet. Have influence over people. Anyway, episode eight just came out, and that's actually features um, a friend of the show, Matt Frank, going to Japan, and uh, they shot a little, a little something, and that just I think they just launched that just a couple of weeks ago or something like that. It's really fun, fun to watch. And actually, spoiler alert: Matt proposed to his girlfriend, and they got that on camera, which was oh, kind of nice. cool to see. It was adorable. Congrats, Matt and Morgan. Uh, and then, uh, so check the show notes for a link to that. And, oh, the other thing is that, uh, Kaiju Combat got funded. And, uh, after not funding some other projects, I was very happy to finally fund something and have it successfully, successfully go. So, uh, I can't wait to see the updates on that. If you did not fund the project, I think you can still somehow get involved. Just check the show notes for links to the Kaiju Combat. Uh, it's well, it won't be to the Kickstarter, but it'll be to the Sunstone Games website. And uh, yeah, I think it's time to move on to local events. Yeah, getting nods. Sweet. Nods sound great, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was in air quotes, by the way. Yeah, I, at least I said air quotes out loud. <laughs> anyway, uh, first and foremost, on the sixth of uh, of January, because there's really no more time in this month. At 7.30 p.m. at the Portland Things from Another World, the Double Clicks and Molly Lewis will be playing at that comic book store. I'm not exactly sure why, but make sure you get out there and check that out. On the 8th, just a couple of days later, Tuesday uh, at 7 p.m., Geek Trivia comes back to the Kennedy School. And I think it's Ryan Seacrest's last, uh, last one, and he's helping with uh, helping Bobby really? in court. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure if he's going to be up there asking questions or what. He told me about it when we were at the Magnola signing. Oh yeah, which was awesome. Yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, we don't need to talk about that. We can talk about that off mic. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Comics Underground is coming back to the Jack London Bar at 8 p.m. on January 10th, and uh, that's always a really cool event that uh, is put on by Eric Hendrickson and his cohort from the Mercury. They don't listen to it. I think so. I think so. They don't or listen Sir, to or the Sir show. Burke, one of the two. One of those two. They don't listen to the show, so I don't feel so bad about forgetting <laughs> who they are. But um, uh, it's a great, great time, and uh, if, it always features a lot of really great local comic book artists, and there are always a lot of local comic book artists in attendance. If you like comics and live in the area, or you like comic creators, and you just want to like soak up their uh, their presence, you should go to that. That sounded creepy. That wasn't supposed to sound creepy. (laughs) 
Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the next thing, which is on the 13th. You guys should clear your calendars for this. The next live Kaiju Cast listener party. Sweet. Online listener party will we'll be happening. Last year, we gave away a bunch of stuff. We had uh, a chat room going, and uh, yeah, we are going to be doing the exact same thing. I'm using different chat software, so more than 25 people can join this time, you guys. <laughs> Uh, that was really embarrassing to find out afterwards. <clears throat> so I'm I'm working on uh, more prizes. In fact, I've got a couple of them right here. Are you are you guys interested in seeing what we're giving away so far? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Let's see it. Okay, so uh, without a doubt, we are giving away a Blu-ray copy of Godzilla vs. Biollante. Nice. And the San Diego Comic Con exclusive SH Monster Arts Meltdown Godzilla will be given away, and I'm sure we're going to get some more stuff. Uh, Actually, Brian, if you're up for it, I'm I'm looking at doing uh, heading out to that God that Kaiju toy store in Hood River. Okay, Uh, Toy Freaks. If you want to go, I know you like toys. So we should we should do that. We need to do do that before the live episode. So because I think David has some stuff to give us for that. Sweet, some uh, exclusives to his shop and so forth. But yeah, so that's going to be on the thirteenth. I'm going to be talking about that on all of the social media networks because uh, we want to get as many people listening as possible. Uh, So, oh, and this time we're not giving away um, five million things to five million different people. We are just having like, I think two giveaways basically. So, uh, there'll be big, big winnings for two people or something like that. Anyway, cause I was really bad about sending that stuff out last, last year, you guys. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of the social networks, we are on the, uh, Facebook and the Twitter and the Tumblr. Please follow slash like us on all of those aspects. Uh, and, and uh, are you subscribed to the podcast through iTunes or some other podcast directory or aggregate service or RSS feed reader thing? Are you asking me? I or as I am. Are, are you? I am actually. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I get it on all my feeds. That's, that's good. <laughs> uh, if if you if I'm actually talking to the listeners out there, people who are listening, maybe through the website or something. If you haven't subscribed, please do. It actually helps us out. Uh, that kind of those numbers actually do get seen by me. And uh, if I'm ever asked, hey, what are your subscription numbers like? Then I can go, they're awesome because all of these people listen and then they click the subscribe button and um, uh, that that will help us out. In fact, there are going to be some cool upgrades coming to the KaijuCast website, uh, some of which include options for supporting the KaijuCast, uh, which will help us get to stuff like Monster Palooza next year and G-Fest, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, anyway, that's all coming later. I think in January, I'm going to be making a lot of that stuff live. Uh, in the meantime, though, please do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and Hey, why not write us a review on, uh, on iTunes? If, if you are able to do so, Martin did it. I think you did it too, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're on the show. They didn't even have to do that. They're just cool. They're they're good friends. That's why they're on the show now because they, (laughs) I like your support crew that it, that helps on the podcast. That's why I wrote in. <laughs> so anyway, uh, please please do uh, feel free to to drop those kind of notes on uh, on your favorite podcast subscription based uh, products and softwares. And um, like I said, our our next episode is going to be the live episode, which will be January thirteenth. 
Um, I'm not going to give out a time yet because I'm not exactly positive. Because uh, if you haven't noticed, neither Jeff nor Heather are here right now. And uh, I want to sort of get with them about that and make sure that it's going to be that. But I can say it's going to be the 13th. And if, if they're not available, then screw them. I'll find some other co-hosts that night or that afternoon. I think it's going to be in the afternoon. <clears throat> I'm talking too much. You guys need to tell me to shut up every once in a while. Or not. That's fine. Uh, it's, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, send an email to controller at kaijucast.com or use the handy dandy web contact form, which will be online in a matter of days. Uh, and in the meantime, I think we're just going to go ahead and close things out with an amazing song. Uh, now, I didn't even know about this before you came over tonight, Brian, but, you know, as we've talked about, the next commentary will be for the War of the Gargantuas, and uh, there's a song sung in that movie, uh, which is called Feel in My Heart, I believe, but um, everyone calls it The Words Get Stuck in My Throat, and um, as we were sitting here prepping for the show, Brian mentioned that there was a Devo version of that song, something I was unaware of. Uh, and so basically, I've decided to to end the song with the Devo version of the words get stuck in my throat. Uh, I'm sorry in advance. We'll see you <laughs> next next not next month, but next year. And uh, Jamata. If I had a tiny microphone stuck inside my heart, it would amplify my love for you.
wow, that was actually terrible. That was <laughs> really, <sorry>. really bad. <laughs> so if you stuck through it, if you stuck through that song and are listening to me talk right now, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next month. <laughs>